Welcome to the Pearl of Great Price podcast. Thanks for joining us today. It's August the 22nd. On this day in Christian history, we go back to the year 1927 and we travel to Lyon in France, where the Jesuit theologian Henri de Lubac was ordained a priest. The Jesuit novitiate of the province of France temporarily relocated to St. Leonard's on Sea in East Sussex because of the anti-church laws in France and the Lubac had studied on the southern English coast before being drafted into the French army in 1914 at the outbreak of the Great War. He received a head wound at Léopage on All Saints Day three years later which deeply traumatised him and would give him recurring episodes of dizziness and headaches for the rest of his life. However, this did not prevent him from years of accomplished teaching and writing. And in 1983, Pope John Paul II made him the first non-bishop cardinal since canon law had required cardinals to be bishops. De Lubac is now considered as one of the most important theologians of the 20th century and one of the architects of the Second Vatican Council. Originally considered to be revolutionary in his thinking, he challenged the status quo of the Catholic theological tradition and he suffered a prolonged period of suspicion due to this. It was common at the time with the immense legacy of Thomas Aquinas, to highlight the difference between nature and grace. And you sometimes got the impression that the church was floating above the grubby world. However, the Lubach went against the grain by highlighting a natural desire that we all have for the supernatural. And this collapsed this distinction between nature and grace. And in 1938, he published a seminal work called Catholicism. It's now seen as a renewal of Catholic social teaching. See the podcasts of March and May the 15th for more about that. And de Lubac was saying that it was more than the church telling politicians what to do but that the church itself went beyond politics and anticipated the kingdom of God. This was seen as a challenge to a church still living with the modernist crisis and viewing the contemporary world, political, cultural and philosophical, with profound suspicion. As the Oxford Dictionary of the Catholic Church puts it this succinctly, De Lubac was one of the thinkers who created the intellectual climate that made possible the Second Vatican Council, largely by opening up the vast spiritual resources of the Catholic tradition, which had been cramped by post-Tridentine Baroque theology. As the Second World War consumed Europe, in 1940 Germany invaded the north of France and exercised de facto authority over the Vichy government in southern France. The Lubac had been assigned to Lyon by the Jesuits, and the city became a centre of the French resistance against Nazism, and the Lubac became a figure in the spiritual resistance.
He was part of a loose network of Catholic laypeople, bishops and priests who risked everything to guide the church through this crisis. The theological foundations for de Lubac's anti-racism had been outlined in his book Catholicism. There he had argued that God sought to heal the divisions among human race caused by sin and to regather human beings into a true unity. The church, therefore, was the communio sanctorum, both the means to the unity of the human race and the visible sign of that unity, albeit incomplete this side of eternity. Racism, therefore, in de Lubac's eyes, was not merely a moral failure. It struck at the foundation of Christian doctrine. Early on in the German occupation, de Lubac spoke out openly against Nazism. And in a series of lectures at the Catholic University of Lyon in 1940, he explained that European anti-Semites did not reject God's favour towards a particular people, the Trues. They rejected God. And they rejected a God who dispelled the ancient myths and who transcended the universe. They desired a return to the gods of nation and blood. When we speak of neo-paganism, that is not a polemical expression, he explained. In a renewed form, it is indeed the ancient pagan ideal that is wakening again to reject Christ. And this amounts to nothing less than a definitive apostasy of Europe. When his open opposition to anti-Semitism became more dangerous, he turned to publishing underground journals. One day, returning to Lyon on a trip, he was informed by an anonymous source that there were orders from the Gestapo for his arrest. And under threat of arrest, the Lubac stayed in various religious houses, carrying in a satchel stacks of note cards that would be later organised into books. As the world emerged into a post-war rebuilding, there was a backlash from his theological enemies in the Vatican. In 1950, as de Lubac himself said, lightning struck Fauvier, the Jesuit philosopher in Lyon, France. De Lubac and four professors were removed from their duties and they were required to leave the Lyon province. All Jesuit provincials were directed to remove three of his books, Sur Naturel, Corpus Mysticum and Connaissance de Dieu, and one article from their libraries, and as far from possible to stop them from public distribution. The action came for the Jesuit Father General, Jean-Baptiste Janssens, who was under pressure from the Vatican Curial Office because of pernicious errors on essential points of dogma. Two months later, Pope Pius XII issued the encyclical Humane Generis, widely believed to have been directed at de Lubac and other theologians associated with the Nouvelle Theologie and its willingness to address the ideas and concerns of contemporary men and women, a focus on pastoral work, 
and respect for the competencies of the laity. And a sense of the Catholic Church's existing in history and being affected by it. And all of this challenged that neat distinction between nature and grace. What de Lubac called the dark years lasted nearly a decade. And it wasn't until 1956 that he was allowed to return to Lyon, and not until 1958 that the university got verbal approval from Rome for de Lubac to return to teaching the courses he previously taught. Although everything de Lubac wrote during these years was subject to censorship in Rome, he never ceased to study, write and publish, and during these years he brought out a study of Origen's biblical exegesis, three books on Buddhism, Meditation sur l'Eglise, a text which would have great influence on Lumen Gentium, the document produced at Vatican II on the nature of the Church. And he was part of the Ressourcement movement, which challenged the Church to return to its patristic, sacramental and spiritual sources, which underpinned the Council. The Church was still struggling under the weighty influence of Thomas Aquinas, which was and felt to be stagnating under a dry form of Thomism that even Aquinas himself would not recognise. However, in the years immediately following the Council, de Lubac became impatient with an excessive liberalism, which went too far and accommodated itself too readily with the culture, and in his view had lost its mooring in classical Christianity. And so, along with his colleagues Hansers von Balthasar, see the pod of June the 26th, and Joseph Ratzinger, he founded the theological journal Communio, which was meant to be a counterweight to the liberal journal Concilium. Pope John Paul II had worked with the Lubac at the Vatican Council when he was a bishop, Karol Votia, and he had the highest esteem for de Lubac. And he stopped his address during a major talk and acknowledged the presence of de Lubac, saying, I bow my head to Father Henri de Lubac. Subsequently, the Pope appointed him a cardinal. His legacy of fine theological writings include The Splendour of the Church, a book that has had particular influence on Pope Francis, particularly a section towards the end on spiritual worldliness. In fact, Francis lists it as one of his temptations in Evangelii Gaudium, his first encyclical, and his blueprint for the Church. He devotes five paragraphs to discuss discussing spiritual worldliness as one of the temptations faced by pastoral workers. Quoting de Lubac, If spiritual worldliness was to seep into the Church, it would be infinitely more disastrous than any other worldliness which is simply moral. The temptation of worldliness of mind, the practical relinquishing of otherworldliness, so that moral or even spiritual standards should be based not on the glory of the Lord, but on what is the profit of man. If this spiritual worldliness were to invade the church and set to work to corrupt her by attacking her very principle, it would be something infinitely more disastrous 
than any other worldliness of the purely moral order. Even worse than the hideous leprosy that at certain moments in history inflicts so cruel a disfigurement on the bride when religion seems to set up the scandalous in the very sanctuary itself. Pope Francis, in his encyclical, goes on to offer this commentary. Those who have fallen into this worldliness look on from above and afar. They reject the prophecy of their brothers and sisters. They discredit those who raise questions. They constantly point out the mistakes of others. And they are obsessed by appearances. Their hearts are only open to the limited horizon of their own eminence and interests. And as a consequence, they neither learn from their sins, nor are they generally open to forgiveness. This is a tremendous corruption disguised as good. That's all from the Pearl of Great Price today. Join us tomorrow if you can as we look at the tragic and violent death of Brother Roger of Taser. For this year's archive of podcasts, please visit www.pogp.net. And if you'd like to give any feedback, you can email us on pogppod at gmail.com. If you have time, please subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. Have a lovely day wherever you are, and thanks for listening.